I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. This season of Fairy God Boss Radio is brought to you by Cisco, the worldwide leader in IT networking and cybersecurity solutions. Cisco is deeply committed to inclusion and diversity because without diversity thought and a commitment to equality, there's no moving forward. Cisco was voted a top company for women by its female employees on Fairy God Boss. Welcome to Fairy God Boss Radio. Today, I'm joined by Trey Boynton, who is the global lead of inclusion and collaboration strategy and alignment at Cisco. Trey, welcome to the show. It is so wonderful to be here, and I'm so excited for our chat today. Me too. So Trey, you have had an unusual journey into your corporate role. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal background and what attracted you to this diversity work? So I think for me, I identify as a queer Black woman. Um, I was a little Black girl. I was one of the first in my family to go to college. I think for me, my entire life was shaped by those things, but without knowing that that was really going on, that there were systems at play around sexism, racism, at classism, and, and all the things that were kind of happening behind the scenes that was a really a, almost a subroutine that was being played out. But as it was um, it being experienced by me as a young woman, as an early professional, I was like, oh, it just must be me. Something's a little off with me, or they don't trust me, or how do I make sure that I do all of these things to try to circumvent why something feels off? And it's just this kind of constant trying to figure out what's going on. And I didn't have the language for it until I was later on in my career, early on after graduate school, and I started to get introduced to language around social justice and social identity and group memberships and systems of oppression and power and privilege. And, and the, you know, I was like, wait a minute, you mean this has been going on the whole time? Oh, so it's not me. Oh, this is fantastic. Afterwards. Yes. And it gave me the language and the theory to make meaning out of my lived experience in ways that were really, really freeing. And it got in a way that was also highly troubling as well of like, what do you mean all this stuff is going on at the same time? This feels insurmountable. But at the same time, it's, it's also this piece of, oh, now I know why that felt weird. Oh, now I know why they went to me first when something went wrong at school. Oh, so you saw the entire past with a different lens. Yes, yes. It's just a filter and a lens. It's, um, I call it like seeing the matrix code. Exactly. That once you see the code, you see what's happening really in the world that you're being presented. And I think once you see the code, you can't unsee it. For sure, 100%. So what did you do with that realization? I think for me, it was just, I wanted to know more. I got curious because I think, you know, when we come into this work and you start understanding kind of, okay, you start with yourself. Oh, how do I understand the world? Oh, this is what helps me understand but the thing about social justice is that it's the concept of, of both intersectionality, which is coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, but also the concept of simultaneity. So I was, you know, a queer Black girl, first generation, and these are all of the identities where I experience isms or obvious, right? Classism, right? Like I named some of them already. But I think for me, the other side of that is where do I have ease? Where do I not notice that I actually have, because I don't, I don't identify as having a disability, because I'm a U.S. citizen, because... Uh, uh, I, I don't ascribe to a specific religion, but if it would, it would be more Christian-based than not. And, and there's all these things that at the same time that I'm hyper-focused on bringing down the patriarchy and bringing down systems of racial inequality, I need to be just as committed to understanding and dismantling systems that oppress people with differing abilities, that do the same thing around 
it's everything from Islamophobia to xenophobia. How do I not participate in that, knowing specifically and uniquely what it means to be on the other side? So how do I not perpetrate what is not fair for anyone? Right. I love this notion that we, we all have so many different pieces of our identity, right? And being aware of where each of them fits in and understanding where we have privilege and maybe where we don't. Yeah. But recognizing that being, having the ability to see everyone as an individual. Yes. I yes, love there it. Is a, there is such opportunity to see it both of what is your role in dismantling the system and how do you do that from wherever you sit? We all have a role, I believe. I think it is, when we talk about human rights, when we think about common good, when we think about collectivism, to me, is around, regardless of where I sit in the room, I have a role in unweaving this tapestry of oppression. I got to be pulling on threads. And I hope that is, because as many people pull on threads as possible, we actually, that's when we see revolutions and change and progress. So no matter what I belong to, no matter what my group memberships are, I got to be doing work. You're so inspirational. I'm getting chills over here. That's great. So, So you started in academia. Tell us about that. And then how did you progress into corporate? So yeah, I call myself a recovering academic. I grew up, uh, I have a master's degree in higher education. I'm a student affairs alumna. You know, I talked about being a first generation college student. I'm so grateful to a mentor who said, you know, you can do student affairs because I was really involved in, in, in college. I got, I mean, because I'm, it was, I was my first time. I did everything. I was an RA. I was a student activist. I was a mentor. I was all the, I was in a college athlete. You know, I was completely engrossed in the college experience and I wanted to make sure that other students got to experience all that there is outside of the classroom that transforms your experience in higher. I think higher ed was transformative. I believe there are wonderful aspirations in higher ed. It's also got its stuff, right? So I think for me- A hundred percent, right? Yes. Wanting to work with students who were against all odds there or work, wanting to work with students who were third generation and who wanted to make meaning of the world. That was what I love to do. And so I did that for nearly 20 years in various roles. I worked in housing. I worked in, in multicultural affairs. I did diversity and inclusion work in housing. I'm just so proud of that work because that's where I, I really learned my craft. When you have students who are demanding social change on a college campus, you got to be on your best. Right. It's very democratic and it's also very progressive. So you're in the forefront. Yes, you absolutely. Students are saying, this is who I am. This is what I want. What is your answer? And you got to know your stuff. And I'm so grateful that I was at the University of Michigan, both for graduate school and for my professional career, because I called it the ultimate laboratory. It was this wonderful place for me to understand the dynamics of higher education. You know, like what are the things that are wonderful about it? And what are the things that, are, that, are, that, that need to be fixed? There are things that are broken. And I think that for me, specifically working with multicultural affairs, social justice, spaces on campus, the program on intergroup relations. I mean, Michigan has a huge history of being the first and doing things around social justice that have been wonderful. And at the same time, struggling with holding themselves accountable to that ideal. And that was a wonderful laboratory in which to learn. And so for me, I was like, I just thought I would end my career there. And it didn't happen until Duo Security, a little small startup based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So proximity is everything. They were looking for a DNI lead. And I swear to you, it was not going to be me. I was just, I was like, uh, okay, good luck with that. I don't go to tech. Yeah, I'm a, they found you and approached you. 
Uh, no, actually, people saw the job and said, Trey, you got to apply. And I was like, yeah, but you do it. You're much better at that. And I remember it wasn't until a very wise group of friends said, we're doing an intervention and you are applying to that job. And I kind of begrudgingly, and I go into the, pro- I'm like, fine, I'll do it. I don't want to like it. And I, I go, and then of course, it's my dream job. And it's in the dream space in a wonderful way I could play that I couldn't in higher ed. And it was a new muscle. It was a new... Uh, learning curve. I didn't know any of the lingo. I was like, what does the double click mean? Oh, you just want to know more. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, it was just like, like you're going to pee me on that. Kept everybody to, without too much jargon. Yes. Yes. So th- that's how I made the transition. But I think I just really, I'm super proud of that time. And I also know that at the time that I left, it was probably time as well. I had served students. I, I have participated in the education of thousands of students. It was an honor and a privilege to do so. It's hard to make the decision to grow when we're feeling comfortable or like we've achieved so much. We have so much credibility. We've, we've yep. earned our status. And then to be willing to kind of be the new kid again yep. is a brave thing to do. All right. So you went into a small internet security company or. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and then what? You said, I love this corporate thing. Let me have it. I think so. And I think it was funny because I, like I said, I begrudgingly and, and only at the behest of my good friends who challenged me to, to, to just have the conversation. I, I went and talked with the recruiter and I, and I think this was one of the first times where I was like, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to do like my biggest, wildest dreams and like talk about the way I would do diversity work if I had never had any constraints. And I think the thing about working in a college setting is that there's such a huge history. I mean, Michigan just celebrated its bicentennial. So, so like 200 years of educational excellence. It's, and that's a huge accomplishment. At a startup, I was employee number 400 and something. And it's like, there's no history. There's no, there's, there's, there's no, yes. undo, but there's no, no instruction manual. Exactly. And I got to kind of think about if I could create it from scratch, what would I do differently? And that's what got me excited. And I started to kind of dream out loud with the recruiter who said, oh my gosh, you got to go talk to the CEO. And I was like, wait, what? And I I think I just walked over and Doug Song, who's one of my most favoriteest humans on the planet, he and I just started chatting at an open house event that had nothing to do with me being recruited, that we just happened to be in the same space. And I think for me, the way I was talking about approaching it and the way that he wanted to build it, it was an absolute match. And it was then, so if he was in a match with me, that must mean this place, this special little company duo must mean it's different. And then I started to talk to more people and everybody was like, yeah, this is so exciting. We're so happy you're here. What do we do? How are we doing it? This is what we've already done. And I'm like, wait, what? Nobody's resisting this. And you know, the way that they built their culture, it was so easy to wrap around a diversity strategy. And it really was that that's what made it easy. I was so excited about the possibility. There was such an open and warm welcome for true organizational change that didn't need a ton of organizational change. So they were like, what do we do? How do we switch it? And I I was like, well, let's try this. And and it was just this wonderful kind of um commingling of both design, iteration hypothesis, testing, proving. And it was just so lovely in that, in the time that I was with Duo before we were acquired by Cisco. Got it. And so that's how you've ended up at Cisco. Now, Cisco is really at the forefront of diversity work in corporate America. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on there, what your mandate is and where you see this diversity work going? Yeah. So I, you know, it's funny, you don't realize what's happening until 
it happens. And that's like the most basic sentence ever. So let me try to explain. I always tell students and I tell anybody who kind of talks to me about career advice, it's like, you never know what job you're interviewing for. And I think it's this really interesting concept that whatever conversation, how can you be present, offer your skills in a way that- even interviewing, whether you know it or not. Yeah. And, it, and it's and it's not in this like, oh my gosh, anxiety inducing way, but just how do you showcase and have conversations that are meaningful and impactful whenever you meet someone who who's asking you those kinds of questions? And so I got to meet Sherry Slate, who is our chief inclusion and collaboration officer. And I remember early on in the acquisition process, and I owe it to a wonderful colleague, uh, Kendra Mitchell, who, who introduced us and got me in the room with her. And I was able to talk through what I had done at Duo and she stopped and she kind of looked at me and she said, I see you. And I was like, I know I'm on video. We're like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> like, it, and it was this, it had much deeper meaning than I was able to grasp. And so I referenced that call where I got to just kind of like say, here's the bold kind of adventurous things that I'm trying to do at Duo. And I don't know if it's going to work there, but let me just tell you about them. And she said, I see you. And I didn't know what that meant. And, and the great thing is that through the acquisition, I was offered a, a full-time role and joined Sherry's team and, and led a team building INC solutions for the company and for the enterprise. And I got to learn. I got to just learn a ton. But I think what I didn't know was that her superpower is seeing around corners. And she saw that I brought a different skill set with all of the training and growing up that I did around inclusion work at Michigan. She saw that it could work at Cisco. And so I didn't even know, I was just trying to be me and contribute and say, hey, I understand the dynamics of this. This is how this should show up. And I was just kind of going about my job and trying to learn what does it mean to deliver that at scale? Because I went from, you know, 800 to 77,000 in a day. And so it was just this onboarding of, oh my gosh, how do I think about this beyond these small one-on-one conversations? How do, I, how do I think about scale? And then I think that ultimately led me to here when Sherry, we recently did a, a reorganization within Cisco and our, our HR function that we call people in communities and uh, the work got redistributed. And so the work that used to be held in a single entity now is, is spread throughout the organization. And there's a wonderful opportunity there. And what she needed was someone to hold the hole and to drive strategy globally for the company in the service of our next horizon people strategy and really the company purpose, which is an inclusive future for all. And so my role is really to hold the hole. It's to partner with all of my fabulous colleagues who own pieces of this work that creates this entire INC portfolio of experiences, opportunities, culture, development, all of the things that, that, that traditional functions of HR do, they now hold that, that. How do I partner, collaborate, consult, connect the work with each other, and then show the true impact of what we're doing? That's my remit right now. Love it. And That's I, a big job. It's, it's a big one. It's not small. It is quite big, but here's the great thing about it. I get to do something wonderfully unique every single day. And I get to go into a meeting with one group and talk about a process that is going to show up around equity and compensation. I get to review content that's going to talk about how we give benefits to our trans and non-binary employees. I then get to go into another meeting and think about language and taxonomy and accessibility around, I want to really do good with this diversity work, but I'm super afraid I'm going to use the wrong language. And how do I do this well? And I get to then go in and think about what does it look like to engage our communities and our employee resource organizations. And that's literally every meeting I walk into, there's possibility. 
and I think of that I have the most wonderfulest job in the world. I love it. So we started out by talking about how everyone can play a part in, I think you said, pulling the thread and unwinding past inequalities. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to all of us? What is the number one thing you think we all can do as sort of corporate citizens or corporate employees to help advance equality and diversity in the workplace? I think, you know, for me, it all starts with knowing yourself. I don't, I don't, think you can do really good work unless you actually do the work of, well, who am I in this system? And the system shows up around gender, around sexual orientation, around race, ethnicity, nationality, body size, and type, and skin color, and all the things, right? I could go through all the groups, but I think you have to start with understanding where do you sit. And that's where I would go back to the concept that we talked about earlier, which is this concept of simultaneity. I am both a woman and I'm queer. I'm both a U.S. citizen and I'm Black. I'm all of these things at the same time. And where does that put me? Do I operate with a ridiculous amount of barriers and obstacles in my path as I just try to live my life? Or do I coast downhill on a beautifully floating mattress that none of us asked for, Mm -hmm. right? right? But just by the way the system is designed, It advantages some as it disadvantages others. So I think the work for all of us is to find out first, where do I sit? Because at every kind of intersection, you will find out what your place is in the process. So how do I, if I'm sitting on the margins and if I am am voiceless, uh, my role is to find my voice and get to the center and advocate for my community to get to the center, to be part of the narrative, to be part of the foundational shift that, that needs to happen for no one to be left behind. If I am part of already in the cacophony of voices, of those who are already heard, how do I look around and say, who's not here? That is the work for each of us every single day. Yeah, who's part not of it, Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, part of it is that's hard. And I said, yeah, here's the good news. We do hard every day. Yeah, right. We all do hard every day. So 2020, woof. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> say that one more time for the people in the back. It's been a hard year and especially a hard year for underrepresented communities. In many ways, between COVID and between the terrible racial inequality episodes that we're seeing, how are you personally managing and keeping yourself afloat during the challenges that we're all facing this year? I think it's it's a couple of things, right? And I'll 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 go with like the big things, right? I think I think it's recognizing the moment and actually um I think this pandemic has created us to look at the collective and our interconnectedness in ways that is not necessarily automatic for everyone. We have to actually think about other people constantly. Now, there are communities and spaces and countries that do that, that are very collectivist, that are very kind of centered on the, on the whole. I think as a country, and I'm based in the U.S., we don't do that. We're very individualistic. There's this whole concept, and I would offer it's a myth of pulling yourself by, up by your bootstraps, and you can do it, and just kind of grit up and do it. The fierce individualism um, of Americans, yes. It's very much the individualism of Americans. And then when you think about what's been so hard to think about how we've had to shift our lives is that we've actually been forced, and whether some of us it's the first time or the 30,000th time that we've had to think about the collective, I think that's that's recognizing the moment and just observing what's happening to our society and our and our spaces and our communities is interesting. It's it's wonderful to watch. Like so from an academic, like nerdy standpoint, I just want to watch it. And I think that the need to to kind of think about that as a collective, and then followed by the fact that we've all had to slow down, whether it was because 
the things were closing or we were concerned about our own vulnerability or the vulnerability of those in our households or our families, we've had to kind of slow down and in the things that we used to be able to do are not available to us. And That's so right. it meant that we had to bear witness to what was happening in the world. And so when COVID started to reveal the systemic inequality and health disparities that we always knew were there, <laughs> that have always been there, whether you knew them or not, you had to bear witness to that. You had to look at the numbers and say, why is it showing up here differently? Oh, it's because stuff was already broken to begin with. And then when you add on this, this piece of the horrific murders that we've seen and the lack of responsibility for the lives lost, it has been hard to look away because we've had to slow down. Laying bare facts that we chose not to see beforehand. Because we were busy. We were busy doing mass consumption and going to bars and restaurants and going to large events with 30,000 people and there was stuff to do. And I think that when you slow down the stuff to do, you got to look around and say, well, what's going on? And I think that as, as a society, we've had to do that. I just think that it's, it's caused us to just look around and say, well, damn, either I didn't know or I knew or wherever you fall on that spectrum there is a seeing and a knowing and a bearing witness that is now different than I think we've had in the past. And so I, I kind of look at the moment and I observe the moment that we're in. And listen, I love doing inclusion work as, as my day job and as my night job and in my personal life, but I also need to take care of myself. And there was a time where I just couldn't get on. I, I still won't watch the video. I can't watch the videos. It is, it is heartbreaking to me in ways that I cannot, I cannot take in right now. And for me, in order for me to show up as my best self, I know I just can't consume that content. And so I will take a break. I will avoid specific images that are, that are triggering and, and, and literally heartbreaking. And so I choose to curate some of my content around what my capacity is in the moment. So I'm very thoughtful about that. I also walk away. I do stuff that's really, really fabulously kind of like frivolous. I'm reading the, the latest Twilight book from Edward's perspective. It is fantastic. I am getting my best tween life on because my daughter and I are both reading Twilight. And so, you know, the nail salons were closed and I learned how to do my nails really, really well. I'm kind of proud of my skills at this point. That's very nice. You know, it's, it's not just this self-care piece. It's just decompressing. It's moving my body. It is taking space. It's, it's slowing down. I sat by the lake, I got some time off and I got to sit by a lake for a week. And that was just a gift. And it's, it's knowing and, and, and listening to my spirit and my, my head and my body to say, okay, here's what we need now. And it's paying attention and, and answering the call when, when it needs to slow down, speed up, move, take a break, do something fun, watch a Lifetime movie. I'm excited for The Bachelorette to come back. I'm really pumped. Love it. Well, this is a good moment for me to transition to our fun questions. Okay. So, Trey, what is your karaoke song? This is hard because Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi, if I have a good duet, that's the <laughs> one. Got but, it. But I mean, like, you can never go wrong with Baby Got Back. I mean, I know all the words, Rapper's Delight. I mean, there's a whole bunch, but whole I would genre. say those are my top three. Yes. Fantastic. We also talked about this. We talked about Twilight. We talked about doing your nails, exercising, any other way that you focus on self-care. I convene with my community and that's been hard, right? Like I think I have a group of people who love and support me and I offer that back to them. And we just find ways to do that interestingly and safely. 
And so that's been through digital spaces, but also just, you know, I, I had a across the parking lot date with a friend <laughs> back when it, we were a good 30 feet away. Cause you know, we just didn't want to break the rules cause I am a rule follower, but we just sat, uh, you know, I opened up the back of my car and sat in my trunk and, and, and she did the same. And we kind of toasted from afar our coffees and just kind of yelled across a parking lot. And it was so lovely just to do that in three dimensions. And so I think it's being with my community as well. However, that shows up. Those connections are just so important. Critical. Who is a celebrity you would like to have dinner with? Oh my gosh. I would love, so I'm a huge sports fan and that's also, so that that's also been, I'm a huge uh, football fan, both global football, but also American football. So I would say like right now, I am just, I would love to maybe talk with my two favorite head coaches, Jurgen Klopp from Liverpool and uh, Kyle Shanahan from the 49ers. But I'm also going to be like, you will never see me refuse an opportunity to talk to Michelle Obama. I listened to her book and I felt like we were best friends. So I just think that that should become a reality. So it's like a social dinner where three people are invited and I would just love to talk to all three. That's a great dinner. What book would you recommend to the audience? Y'all. Don't walk, run to your phone, run to your bookstore with a safely mask on, socially distance by Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Okay. I read it last week when I was on vacation. I mean, y'all, this book spoke to my soul in ways that I didn't know that I needed. And it is all, it is a love story from you to you. Please go get it. It is, tra- it is transformed my life. I laughed. I cried. All of those cliche things. But what I did was I, it unhooked things in my spirit that I didn't know needed unhooking. So I, if she's out there, Glennon Doyle, fangirling ridiculously right now. Amazing. I have not gotten there yet. So oh, I, please. I that, that sounds great. All right, Trey. So uh, this is a fairy god boss tradition. So what we observe is that in general, women are just not as comfortable bragging or taking credit for the work we do. And so over time, that can lead to missed opportunities, missed promotions. I'm going to put you on the spot right now, Trey. Okay. I'm going to ask you to brag about yourself. Tell us about something you are great at or a huge accomplishment you're really proud of. I got some pretty dope superpowers. I can take really dense academic kind of theory and put it into a beautiful metaphor that allows people to take it and run with it. So I have the ability to storytell and I do it in a way that is approachable and accessible and that people can consume it and integrate it into their toolkit. I think I bring, I do that authentically and passionately And people sit up when I walk into a room and want to say something. And it's important that if you have that ability to connect, and I so deeply care about relationships, and I try to think about the people behind every conversation. And when I do that, I think that we, over the course of a conversation, can just unlock a ton of stuff. I think I model vulnerability and power at the same time really well. I think I also bring humor to the work and a fun to the work that can sometimes feel heavy and hard because it is just so big what we're trying to accomplish. You know, dismantling oppression ain't easy, y'all. So when you can still have fun and send a gift to talk about how excited we are or how stressed we are or how frustrated we are, 
that's where the fun comes in because you need all of it. I think joy and fun are an act of resistance in a system that doesn't want us to do that. I love it. And you've shown us all of those things today, the storytelling, the humor. So thank you for doing that. Uh, and I, you were excellent at taking credit and claiming your achievements, which I think is great. But moreover, I think it's important to notice and understand what you said, which is that your ability to articulate the challenges or the, the situation, your ability to communicate is what gives you authority. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I got, I don't know where it came from. And I think it's a little bit of all of my parents, my family, my, I sit on the shoulders of giants. And I, I often say I am my grandfather's wildest dreams. Um, the fact that I, I'm doing what I get to do, he is somewhere just absolutely so happy. I and I'm so wonderfully grateful that I get to honor his legacy and all the legacy of, of those who came before me. And I think for those of us who struggle to feel like we get the, the voice we want or the authority that we want, to some extent, we plug in our confidence and just take it, just seize it, right? That's what I get from you. Yeah, I think that's why Glennon Doyle's book is a must read, y'all. We get stories told to us about how we should show up in the workplace, women especially, but everybody who, who experiences being sidelined. We get messages every day about how we shouldn't. What's the right thing to do? What's polite? I don't want to rock the boat. And I, I think what I love about some of the messaging and, and what I, how I've tried to live my life, and so the reason why I love the book, it's both an affirmation of how I've approached things, but also just giving me extra permission to continue on, is you know it in your bones, what is good and what is right. Yes. And right. the only person you don't want to disappoint is yourself and your values and what you stand for. So as long as you live in the service of you, go forth and conquer. I love it. Well, I want to leave it there because I'm, I, I've got all the feels. I know, right? This was so fun. Thank you so much. Trey, you've really inspired me. And I feel like even after this conversation, I have so much to think about. And I really loved how you ignite action by reminding us all to think about where we stand where we can pull up our own communities and make sure everyone is participating so no one is left behind. Absolutely. Thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. This was so, so much fun. I had a blast. Me too. Me too. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.